Welcome to this week's episode of What's the Snaps with Mike Fink and Michael Sussman. Enjoy as we react to Patrick Mahomes signing the most lucrative contract in professional sports history and debate our all-time college basketball program, Final Four. We'll also engage in some pretty interesting hypothetical conversations that you won't want to miss. So huge news breaking in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes has signed the richest contract in NFL history. It is over 12 years worth $503 million, 450 over 10, and that'll put him at an average of $45 million per year. Uh, this is a absolutely massive contract, completely resets the quarterback market in every way imaginable. Deals of this length are just unheard of in pro football. Mike, what's your reaction? I mean, if there's a dude that you want to sign for 10 years and for this much money, it, if there's anybody you say besides Patrick Mahomes, you're crazy. He's accomplished more for being how old is he? He's younger than 25. I don't know his exact age, but he's already an NFL MVP, a Super Bowl champion, and a Super Bowl MVP. He is making an argument right now to be maybe one of the greatest athletes at this time ever under the age of 25 for his accomplishments that he has had. And I'm glad the Kansas City Chiefs jumped on it because you're locking down potentially if he keeps this trajectory going, you might be looking at the greatest quarterback of all time. You might. I'll say it right now. I believe it. This guy is an absolute stud. And we, we definitely need to see a little bit more game for him. We need to see how he can play going down the stretch, you know, when he gets some, some years on his body. But as of right now, it makes total sense to me to sign him to this deal. Uh, I, I have no problem with that statement at all. He definitely has the potential to do things at the quarterback position that we've never seen. The accolades have already piled up, as you just mentioned. He's coming off a championship. And what Patrick Mahomes can do is, is something that is revolutionary. I don't even want to say it's revolutionary because it's unique to him. His ability to throw on the run, he, he's pretty much a shortstop out there, sidearm flinging it everywhere around the yard. I think it's really smart by the Chiefs to lock him down, especially considering how much negative press quarterback negotiations often get. And they don't have to worry about that for 12 years. He's going to be in his, his late 30s by the time his contract's up. I think it's a very smart move by the Chiefs. What would you say to the people that would scrutinize them and have the opinion that half a billion dollars is too much money over too long a period to give to just one guy? Well, I mean, if you look at some of these other lucrative contracts that have been signed over a long time, I mean, Russell Westbrook, that's a five-year, I think it's around $240 million. Baseball, you're getting long-term deals like that. In today's sports market, when you get a star, you want to lock them down. Could you imagine if the Cleveland Cavaliers, right as soon as they drafted LeBron James, could restructure that contract and sign him to a 12-year deal? Or the new example coming out is Zion Williamson. If he comes out and the Pelicans, you know, they fight through, they make the playoffs, he plays great. You don't think they're going to restructure his contract to try to lock him down for as long as they possibly can to keep a star in that market and then build around him? And once you lock him down, you get him happy, you can build pieces around him. I mean, Patrick Mahomes already has pieces around him. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, they drafted um, the running back from LSU whose name I cannot remember. I think it's Clyde. Edwards. Clyde something. Um, they drafted him, and then their, their defense is good also. And he already has a great comeback on his roster with that 24-point comeback in the playoffs against the Houston Texans. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins tweeted it. If you want to check it out, it's pretty funny. He posted a, a picture of the score, the Texans winning 24-0. to 
and he says, I can think of 24 reasons right now that this deal to Patrick Mahomes makes sense. <laughs> you you kind of touched on it there. Um, yeah, Dak Prescott's been in a lot of negotiations recently. He, he signed the one-year uh, franchise tag to make, I believe it was around $31 million. What do you think this will do to both the quarterback market and, and just kind of to deal-making throughout professional sports moving forward? I think a lot of guys are going to get deals like this. I, I wouldn't say a lot of guys. I think you're going to get high-profile players that are coming out and have one or two good years and then sign a massive deal. I think that might be a new trend coming forward. Um, because then if you have a guy, and let me, Patrick Mahomes has been in the league for, I believe, three years, had two great years, won a Super Bowl, like we said, MVP. Um, lock him down. Like I said earlier, it makes sense to lock him down and keep him there for as long as possible because when they're that young and that good, the only thing that can really stop them is injuries. And injuries are so unpredictable that you can't sign a guy to worry about injuries. So I'd be interested to see if guys coming out of college, you know, we've got these two great quarterbacks coming out this next year, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Depending on how they do in their first one or two seasons, maybe they get signed to a 10-year deal or an eight-year deal. I think 10's a long time. You've got to sign a, you've got to almost restructure a contract off their rookie deal because there's nobody else in the league right now who you would want to give a, 10, a 10-year deal, you know. Yeah. Maybe Lamar Jackson, if he can come out here and has a great year this year and he can prove that with all of that running he can stay healthy. But – you think you're going to give a 10-year deal to a guy like Mitchell Trubisky who hasn't proven himself? No, they've got to be a, a good quarterback who can come out there and perform day in and day out. Definitely. That's interesting. You just mentioned Lamar coming off the MVP season. I think he's got one year left on his rookie deal. Would you look at, at him maybe for, for a long-term deal like this, uh, assuming that he has another huge season? I would look at him for a long-term deal, definitely. I, I think 10 years is long. Um, because, like I said, when you have mobile quarterbacks like that that like to get out and run, they do have some injuries. Um, but like I said, you can't predict injuries. So I would sign him to a long deal, you know, deal, a six-, seven-year deal maybe. Keep him in Baltimore for as long as possible. The people of Baltimore love him. He's a great guy. Like, he is a awesome dude to watch. He's fun to watch, and I enjoy watching him play. So if I am an executive with the Baltimore Ravens, I'm signing him to at least a five-year deal, at least. Highest I would go maybe seven to eight years, but I think ten's a little long for him. So Mahomes in Kansas City next ten to twelve years. How many titles do you think he gets with the Chiefs, assuming that he doesn't have any career destroying injuries along the way? It, it, it's hard to guess how many titles a guy's going to win when they're this young. I mean, they've got a team set up right now with Andy Reid, great coach, like we mentioned earlier, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. That we could be looking at a new dynasty. I think it's too early to say that. That's why I say we could be looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that he might retire with, I'm going to set it between three to four, looking more likely at three titles. I think he's got a chance. I don't know maybe this year if he wins one, but it's hard to say a guy this good, if he can stay healthy and he makes guys around him better just because he can sling the rock. It's hard to think that he is going to be a one title wonder and not win at least another one, but I'm putting my number at about three. I, I think he could win three titles through the next, however long he decides to play, whether that be till the end of this contract or if he decides to hang up the cleats early. I like that. Three titles, that's a good number because, like you mentioned, it's really hard to predict rosters down the line. I mean, in 10 years, where, where do you think we'll be in 10 years? I, I know where he'll be. I, I don't know. It's crazy. But in, in the NFL right now, there's no better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. Everybody knows that. But we're going to turn to a little bit different of, of a scenario, somewhat of a, a hypothetical um, in an NFL Hunger Games situation, 
all the players in an arena, just like the movie The Hunger Games, give me one player that you would take to make it out and win the competition. My guy right now that would win the NFL Hunger Games would be Tyreek Hill. I'm picking him right off the bat with confidence. I can say that that man takes the cake for one reason only. Speed kills. And in this scenario, literally, he's the fastest guy out there. He can get out of trouble as fast as he can get into trouble. I like it. I think Tyreek Hill's my guy to win the NFL Hunger Games. Do you think that's a little bit of a one-dimensional view? I mean, that's just kind of one skill set. It takes a lot to get out of there. It takes a lot, yeah. I, I understand that, but... You know, you you can't you can you can coach fast as much as you want, but fast is good to have. You can, you, you can't teach big. So those big guys out there, you know, Aaron Donald, um, JJ Watt, you're gonna have some big dudes out there. But he's just so quick. I think he can get in, get out, get what needs to be done, done, and then he can walk away with the Hunger Games title. I I mean, receivers are kind of known for for kind of doing things on their own, being a little bit selfish sometimes, although Tyreek Hill has kind of always seemed to have a decent attitude. But that's what you need. How many times has an alliance worked when, you know, you're you're eventually going to have to betray your alliance eventually, so why not be alone from the get-go and get it done? Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's a good point. I'm going to look a little bit more strategically with my pick and look at the guy that has year in, year out, probably been the smartest player in the NFL and is also just kind of a heartless stone cold killer in Tom Brady. I I think Brady kind of has that, that wherewithal sort of that, that Katniss aspect to be tough and and make some friends form a smart Alliance and then just kind of develop a good strategy to pick people off one by one for the sake of conversation. Are are we working with weapons here? Is it literally the same rules as a hunger games? Like um, my scenario is imagine the, you know, the NFL playoff system just isn't working anymore, and they're mm. trying to get viewers. So they're like, all right, the Hunger Games worked. Let's drop them in a Hunger Games and just see what happens. And each team has to put in one representative that makes the playoffs. Okay, all right. So you're not having everybody in the NFL. Each team is putting in one representative. And I picked my representative for the Kansas City Chiefs being Tyreek Hill. I think Brady's got a good shot. But if they get a coach and you got Brady and Belichick, then obviously he's going to win. But Brady without a coach, I think we got to take this year and see to then prove, you know, that he can go out in this Hunger Games esh scenario and compete without without Belichick in his ear telling him what to do. Wow, go, it goes right back to the Brady without Belichick conversation. That, that... I think you have to. I, I think any conversation with Brady until he proves it is going to have to be a Brady and Belichick type deal. Who who is an honorable mention for you? Somebody that that. You, you didn't pick to win that you think would have a strong showing. I'm going to go with the offensive lineman from Pittsburgh. I don't know his first name. His last name is Villanueva. He was in the Army. Yeah. He's got some skills that will translate to this scenario. And I want to preface, nobody's dying in this scenario. We're not killing anybody. <laughs> this is until you decide or until knockout, kind of like MMA. Okay. Blunt weapons only, no swords, no arrows. This is until knockout. I just want to say well, nobody's dying in this scenario. Is there hand-to-hand combat? Yeah, hand-to-hand combat, blunt weapons until knockout. Kind of like the MMA. It would be like MMA mixed with NFL. Okay, okay, that's interesting. I, I think you, you mentioned... I think telling people would be a little too dark, and you'd you know, you you'd have the great players not want to compete in the Hunger Games because then they die. That, that is true, that is true. Patrick you... Mahomes wouldn't be able to reap his 10-year contract <laughs> if he was dying in the Hunger Games, you know? I mean, I think he's got 100 guaranteed, so... Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good for life. <laughs> That, that, that is true. All right. I got Tom Brady. Uh, you're on Tyreek Hill, NFL, Hunger Games. 
Wish we could see it. That's pretty. That'd be a pretty interesting scenario, wouldn't it? It would be pretty cool. I mean, definitely it'd be dark and twisted, and there's no way it would happen. Um, but people can dream, you know. The Hunger Games were successful for a reason. It, I mean, they're not successful being like that. The successful book series and movies because it was enjoyable to watch, and I think it would be enjoyable to watch. Could you imagine Roger Goodell outside of the arena, just like the the guy in the movie, just pressing all the buttons, like, just raising uh, hell? No, you know, just watching it all and making everything happen. But, like, he's pushing the buttons and making it so Tom Brady can succeed. Like, he's stacking everything in his favor. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you want to you, you wanna deflate this? Go ahead, Tom. That's fine. You, you want to put cameras in there? That's okay. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to stack the deck towards you. So moving on now, uh, one thing that I know I was really disappointed about this year was the cancellation of March Madness. I look forward to it every single season. I'm a huge college basketball fan, Mike. I know that you are as well. So we decided to, just just for fun, have a little bit of a, a hypothetical all-time NCAA college basketball Final Four. We ranked the top four college basketball programs of all time, both from a winning and a talent standpoint, and there were four pretty clear-cut teams. We seeded them based on total national championships that their programs have won. So let's get on with the first round matchup between the number one seeded UCLA Bruins and the number four seeded Duke Blue Devils in an all-time matchup. Any player from either of those programs' entire history is playing, is eligible to compete. Who are you taking? I think it's hard to bet against UCLA. I mean, Mike Krzyzewski might be the greatest coach in college basketball right now, but John Wooden is the greatest, maybe arguably greatest coach throughout all of sports. Absolute great coach. And they have the undisputed GOAT, in my opinion, for all of basketball on the UCLA Bruins and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That team is stacked. There's a lot of older guys that played under Coach Wooden. You've got Kareem, Bill Walton, um, guys going back, Reggie Miller, Gail Goodrich, but then you've got these younger guys that can fill in there. Russell Westbrook, K-Love was there for a while. Uh, Baron Davis is another guy coming out of UCLA. So that, mm. it's a deep team. You've got a real deep team coming out of UCLA. And yep. if we scroll back even further, we can go to Lonzo Ball, Trevor Ariza, you know, guys that are getting cut from the squad, and they were great college basketball players. But then again, you've got to think of the great dynasty that has been the Duke Blue Devils. And, you know, it. For as long as I can remember, at least I don't know how you've been, but it always seems like Duke is always competing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. And who do you take out? Are you on UCLA or are you on Duke? It's hard not to be on UCLA. Yeah, Russ Westbrook, Russ Westbrook running the point. Yeah, Baron Davis and Lonzo Ball backing them up potentially, and then that four and five duo with with uh, Bill Walton and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just just puts it over the top. Christian Leitner was a great college basketball player for Duke, one of the best. I think of he all gets bullied. Time. But yeah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is giving him buckets every day of the week. Not even close. Uh, and then the only thing that Duke's got going for him is they got. I think Grant Hill is the difference maker. You got Grant Hill and JJ Redick. I think they're the two difference makers. They're great college basketball players, um, good NBA players also, and I think they're the difference maker. If you know, if JJ's out there hitting some threes, it, it's going to be hard to compete. So, do you think in that matchup, UCLA would probably try to pound it inside a little bit with Walton and Kareem, and then Duke would kind of have to get hot from the outside? I think you have to because I think I mean Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest college basketball player of all time, in my opinion. Um, 
and he's the greatest NBA player of all time, in my opinion, also. All-time scoring champ, most MVPs. Um, that's a conversation for another day. But, yes, I think that they would pound the rock inside. Kareem would go for 38 points and God knows how many rebounds. And it would just be hard for the Duke Blue Devils to solidify the inside when you've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there hitting hook shots. And you got to remember, when Kareem played in college, you couldn't dunk. They outlawed dunking. <laughs> could you imagine how many more points Kareem could have if he could have dunked on everybody? Oh. That's why he. That's why he. The hook shot is so famous. You couldn't block it. It's the move he did because he couldn't dunk. And everything's a foul now too. I feel like he'd be going to the line all the time. And Kareem could shoot free throws. He, he wasn't a bad free throw shooter. He's not like Shaq going out there and shooting negative percent from the free throw line. Yeah, I don't see how UCLA doesn't move on. They have Reggie Miller at the two. Got Jamal Wilkes could play the three. Duke has just a lot of really great college performers in the last 20 or 30 years. But there's just greatness on UCLA that's that's pretty uncomparable. Uh, you know, So I think we're, we're, we're good to go ahead and, and move UCLA on to the championship. Yep, safe to say I think UCLA is going to the national championship. All right, in our two-versus-three college basketball program all-time semifinal matchup, we have UNC versus Kentucky. A lot of talent on both sides. Who you got in that one? See, this one i got to bring into the conversation. Yes, I know UNC has Michael Jordan, but we're only looking at them from their college standpoint. If you're taking all these guys from their pro career, then, I mean, undoubtedly UNC, because you've got, you've got Michael Jordan. You've got Air Jordan on your team. Um, but when I look at this, UNC team, there's a guy that sticks out to me as one of my favorite college basketball players of all time. He's one of the guys that really got me into watching college basketball, and that's Tyler Hansborough. Oh, yeah. I love Tyler Hansborough, Crazy T, Psycho T, what they called him. Um, he is, I think, the greatest UNC basketball player there is. Um, you've got him, you've got James Worthy, great college basketball player. He'd be running the uh, three to four position. Um, Phil Ford is another older guy. He played from 74 to 78. Um, and then you've got Antoine Jameson, Sam Perkins. You can go back. Ty Lawson was on that team. Um, but this Kentucky team has been stacked as of recent because you've got Anthony Davis. They're just big. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Marcus Cousins, John Wall could be running the point. You know, it's just it's crazy, um, the talent that is on this Kentucky Wildcats team. And then you've got great coaches on both sides also. This one is, I would pay basically all the money that I have, which isn't a lot, but I would pay a lot of money to see these two teams go at it because Kentucky, a lot of these guys are newer. You know, Rajon Rondo, all these guys are not as seasoned or not as, um, they're more recent than, you know, Michael Jordan, James Worthy and all of them. But at the end of the day, I think UNC can take it, uh, take it to the top and meet UCLA, even though the Kentucky Wildcats are just big. They're a big, big, big team. Yeah, they definitely are. They have Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, and Boogie Cousins down low. But there is one guy whose logo is on everybody else's shoes, and that is Michael Jordan. I understand his college stats weren't anything too crazy, but he did win a national championship and was a player of the year in the NCAA uh, and then you look at James Worthy, like you just said, Antoine Jameson, Tyler Hansborough was an absolute beast in college. I'm with you on that one. I think this would be a great game, but when you're yeah. looking at Carolina, you're looking at Jordan, Worthy, 
Sam Perkins. It's just it's it's really amazing the history that Carolina has, and and they have MJ. You know, enough enough said. So our national championship matchup, and I think this one could definitely take some debate. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot a lot of greats on both of these teams. Is UCLA versus UNC at first glance? Who are you liking in that one? At first glance, I'm gonna stick with my guns and say UCLA. I mean, we still we've talked about a Kareem. Kareem's big. I don't think anybody on that UNC team is able to match up with Kareem. Interesting enough, I think the Kentucky Wildcats match up better with UCLA. Unfortunately, we've picked North Carolina over Kentucky because that's how we think it would go. But that Kentucky matchup, because how big they are, like we said, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, and DeMarcus Cousins, those are three big dudes who could bang down low with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Michael Jordan makes a big difference for those UNC Tar Heels. Um, cause he'd be, he'd be going up against, you know, the likes of Reggie Miller and, uh, Russell Westbrook and some of those guards for the UL, for the UCLA teams. But I think the big fellas change the game for UCLA, like we said earlier. Yeah. It's just hard. Like I can't seriously say out loud that anybody would be able to guard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like I, I, I like Ty- Tyler Hansborough yep. was a great defender and a hard nosed defender. He had a bloody nose seemingly every game, but it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like what's he going to do? Exactly. And Tyler Hansborough is six foot nine and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is seven foot. I believe he's seven foot one. Yeah. That's, that's a matchup nightmare. And, and then you think if about you Tyler Hansborough out there and you're expecting him to guard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar might go off for a 50-piece. And then you have the two-man game of Walton and Kareem. Walton is one of the best kind of distributing big men that there is. I think that chemistry there would be dangerous, especially when you look at the outside shooting with Reggie Miller. Exactly. And then, you know, you work outside to go inside, you work inside to go outside, and UCLA's got both. They've got proven long-range threats in Reggie Miller and proven inside threats in the all-time point scorer, in the NBA, and Bill Walton, whose career was unfortunately cut short due to injuries. Uh, he didn't get to reach his full potential, but still a great player. Yeah. What if his airness says, screw this, we're not losing? D- do you think he'd be able to put together like a, a, a Chicago Bulls-like run down the stretch and kind of just carry the Tar Heels, or are they too overmatched? I think Michael Jordan would be able to get his points. I don't know if he'd be able to, because, you know, if you watched The Last Dance, I did. you know that he wasn't Michael Jordan in college. He was Mike Jordan. You know, he didn't become Michael Jordan until he got to the NBA. I mean, and, he hit the buzzer beater. Yeah, yeah, he did. Actually, I lied. He, he became Michael Jordan after that buzzer beater. But I, I don't think he can get a heroic Chicago Bulls-style comeback. I think he keeps it close. I, I think this is a close game that goes down to the wire. If we get it into a series of games, I think UNC takes a couple games. But in college, it's one it's one game to rule them all. And I'm taking UCLA over them. Yeah, I think what UNC would have going for them in that matchup would kind of be the, the up-and-down quality. They could get out and run, whereas UCLA is a little bit of a bigger lineup. But Russell Westbrook, I think, could kind of balance that with his athleticism for UCLA. So I'm mm-hmm. with you on that. The What's the Snaps college basketball all-time Final Four has been decided. UCLA is the greatest program of all time. Kind of an interesting thought, though. They are the worst of these programs currently. What, what do you think happened? With that much history, how can you not be good year in, year out? I think it comes back to who we, who I dubbed the greatest coach of all time and John Wooden. He had a lot of those older guys, Kareem, Bill Walton, Reggie Miller. 
he coached them up. Um, a program starts with coaching. If you want a successful program, look at all of these more recent programs. You've got Roy Williams at UNC that keeps them afloat every year, along with great recruiting. Mike Krzyzewski, who's the greatest coach in college basketball right now. And then at Kentucky, John Calipari. You've got three great coaches that that get players to come play for them, keep the program a winning program, and keep the legacy alive. I think UCLA needs to needs to have a coach that can do those things that those three that I mentioned earlier can and keep the legacy of the program alive. And UCLA was good a couple of years ago when they had Lonzo Ball. They made it to the tournament. Um, they were fun to watch with Lonzo Ball there. And I hope that UCLA can come back to the prowess that they used to be under John Wooden. I'm just saying, if I was a high school recruit and somebody said, hey, you can come down to Southern California and play for the most historic basketball program of all time, I just don't think that would be a difficult pitch. I don't, I don't know. I think it's a difficult pitch nowadays because you've got other programs that are just as good. I mean, the ultimate goal is to go to the NBA. Yeah. How often are UCLA games televised? That's true. They're on at like 1 in the morning. Exactly, because they're on the West Coast. If you want televised games, you're going to go to Duke, UNC, uh, Villanova, either of the Michigan schools. Syracuse is on TV a lot. You can go to any of those Florida schools, Miami, Florida State. They're playing all the time. Maryland is a good college basketball program also that's always televised. You want to get looks. That's how you get on an NBA roster is by getting looks and becoming a dynamic player on the biggest stage, which is national television. And UCLA, unfortunately, because of where they are, and it's the same for their football programs. You know, the Pac-12 over there in their football programs, they don't get a lot of love because they're not on primetime TV like Alabama and Auburn and Clemson and Ohio State because of the time difference that they are on the West Coast. Yeah, that's a good point. The only decent, like, Pac-12 program in in either sport is Oregon, and I think that's mostly just because of the Phil Knight association with Nike. Exactly, and everybody wants to go play and get the coolest uniforms. Um, USC was good a couple years ago when they had Sam Darnold, but still Sam Darnold didn't get a bunch of the – praise that a guy like Justin Fields is getting nowadays. I think, you know, Sam Darnold was a great college quarterback. He and Justin Fields both. But Justin Fields gets a lot of that national spotlight being at Ohio State and those games being so much easier to be televised because of the time zone that they're in. I think time zones has a huge, huge deal to play with when it comes to marketing colleges onto the TV and onto the media spectrum because – like we said, Oregon games come on at 11 at night sometimes. Those Pac-12 games, nobody watched Jordan Love because when his games were televised, they were on at 11 at night. All right, so we've got another hypothetical for you here. Sus, I'm going to ask you this. Just don't even think. Just answer when I get done talking here in a second. Okay. So you're in an open field, and around you is an endless horde of eight-year-olds. Ooh. And they are coming to get you. They're going to get you and they're going to do whatever it takes to. You are only armed with as many metal baseball bats as you need. You have a squire of sorts that will hand you metal baseball bats whenever one breaks. And you are trying to take out as many of these eight-year-olds as you can, but the eight-year-olds are wearing football helmets. How many of them do you think you can take down before they get you? Yikes. Oh, wow. It's a question as old as time. People have been asking this question for as long (laughs) as there has been people. All right, so they have football helmets on. Are they padded in the rest of their body or, or just on their heads? Nope, they're just wearing helmets. Okay, so I guess you got to go they're for... They're regular, average-sized 8-year-olds. You're not getting these 8-year-olds that are like 250 pounds and already being recruited to play for Auburn. These are regular 8-year-olds 
that are like, if it was dodgeball, they could compete, but not against us, you know? How many at a time are, are going to come at me? They are, imagine that you're just in a field, you're, in, you're on a football field. Let's just say you're on a, a grass football field, yeah. and around you is just this horde of them, and they're all coming at once. Like, there's no, like, waves of this. There's not, you're going to get 10, and then 10, and then 10. It's just one wave. It's a horde. It's unlimited, essentially, because they're going to get you. Okay. There's no fighting until the end because there's an unlimited amount of eight-year-olds. Right, right. Okay, so you're just you're just swinging at this point. You're just you're just yep letting it fly. They are coming to get you, and you are fighting for your life, knowing that these eight-year-olds are going to get you eventually. But you're going to go down, and you're going to go to Valhalla and go down a warrior. <laughs> All right, an eight-year-old's what about one ten, one fifteen? Yeah, I'd say an average eight-year-old, maybe a little less. I, I, what what grade are you in eighth grade? It's been a long time since I've been eight years old. Um, um third? what are you in like first or second grade? Something like that. I think you're in I think you're in third grade, so I'd say an average third grader might weigh Yeah, that's about 110, maybe. I'd say I'd probably take out about twenty or so before the fatigue set in. Because you'd get pretty tired very quickly. But I I, yeah. th- I think I could get twenty. I'd probably go for some, you know, some abdomen to, to chest shots that I, I, I think I'd probably take them out. I, I have confidence in my swing power. I I think I think about twenty, but it, it'd be hard. I mean, if they were just coming nonstop just just overwhelming you I, I and that's what makes it hard like if you could get a break in between right. you know you could go on for hundreds maybe you know if they were coming at you 15 at a time but the fact that it's just an endless horde and you've got nowhere to go but to fight i think i can take down 48 of them 48 that's a lot of confidence 48 i think i can take down 48 eight-year-olds before they eventually overwhelm me and i mean i like me i like me and just about everything i'm gonna i'm gonna put me up against the best um, but like you said, the fatigue is going to wear in my swing. It's going to get real choppy. It's going to, I'm not going to follow through, you know, I'm going to be hitting these guys like I'm grounding out to second base. I'm going to roll over on them. Uh, um, they're not going to be great swings. I'm not going for dingers after I knock out 30 of them. I like my number. What did I say? 48 or 49? It was one of those. 48, two. 48, 48. Yeah. I, I like my number at 48. Essentially, it, it, if you think you can go triple digits, you're crazy or you're in yeah. the best shape of your life because that's a lot. What would your swing tactic be? Would you go like one bat or like two bats constantly swinging or try to take out like three or four at a time? Like what What would your technique be? I think I would switch back and forth to a – I'd have one bat so I could get both hands on it because I think with the two bats, the bats are long, and I don't think I'm getting an appropriate swing to do the amount of damage I need. Mm. So I'm going to go one bat, and I'm going to shuffle back and forth between a – hatchet axe style chop to get him on the top of the head okay and then i'm going to go to a tennis backhand and forehand with the bat and i think a combination of those two will be able to not only give me the distance but give me the knockdown power are you on for like a lighter weight like little league bat or do you want to be swinging the lumber i'm probably going to go with a standard drop three i'm going to go big barrel drop three bat okay um about what i would swing normally when i would play baseball or maybe a softball bat like a, a, a like a nice Beer league softball bat for adult softball. I think one of those would be good too because they're light. That you got a longer length on them, you can keep them at a distance with it. I think I'm gonna go with a beer league softball bat, like a slow pitch softball. And I think that yeah, with that you can keep them at length. Um, it's light, so you won't get as fatigued as if you're using a drop three big barrel bat like we'd use in high school or any of that. And then you're not using a tiny bat like a little league bat like you use for t-ball. 40... As you can tell, I put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> Forty-eight's just a lot. I, I don't. 
the, the fact that they're coming all the time, like I, I could be hitting one, and then the other one could be dragging me down. Like I, I mean, I, I you got to close know. the distance because they're going to start running at you. Mm. And I'm, I'm imagining that they, you've got like 15 yards of space from the start, and then you see him, and then you've just got to pick your initial target and go, and then you've got to run and get him, and then go get somebody else, and you've got to keep moving to keep some distance. You can't just stand in one spot and expect them to not get you. So you got to move around a lot. You got to be a little agile. You know, swing around a little bit with the bat, like uh, ninja style, to mm. make some distance, make a circle, and then go back at it. Just I hope like, that none of us ever end up in that scenario because that would be terrifying. Kids are scary, especially eight-year-olds because they have no fear. That's true. They do not care. Yeah. Especially they hurt them. themselves on purpose by jumping off swing sets that are really high. Like, they don't care. Especially get them hopped up on some sugar or some caffeine or something. And it's, oh, my it's God. If they're, if they're on Mountain Dew, I oh. drop my number in half. I think I can take down 24 <laughs> of them. Thank you for listening to What's the Snaps with Mike Fink and Michael Sussman. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher for more exclusive West Virginia sports talk content.